Welcome to Hope Leads. This is Wes Lane. You know, science tells us that hope is the single greatest determiner of human well-being. One way we pursue kindling and fanning hope within you, the listener, is by talking with men and women who are leaders from different generations, from different geographic areas, from different spheres of influence, but they all have one thing in common. They pursue Jesus and God's unique and purposeful journey for them on the earth. So, our hope is that these focused conversations might somehow serve you in a greater understanding of just who our awesome God is and His very purposeful desire and plan that you would live a life of meaning and impact. And I might add that today's guest is a meaning is a man of meaning and impact. Isn't he? He is, oh and my I, I am so uh, excited for you to get to know him. But but first. Uh, Mrs. Taylor West, how how are you today? Hello, Mr. Westlane. I am wonderful. I'm loving life. I'm learning to walk in fullness. I'm enjoying all things hygge. It's a good day. <laughs> if I've learned anything about you, well, first of all, I've never how heard of hygge <laughs> until I met you. Oh my goodness! And now, you were and now, the out. salt office. Is hoogified. Yes. Has been hoogified or it tailorized. Maybe I can call it that. <laughs> it should have been way. long ago. But you love hoogas. So, what, <laughs> what is do. that exactly? Oh, let me tell you, Wesleyan. So, hooga is a Scandinavian way of living. Um, it's all things cozy and warm, and it's like big blankets, hot chocolate, big marshmallows, board games, being with people you love. Um, it's really a perfect experience for this time of year in January when it's cold outside and you just want to be. Hooga. You just want to be hoogified. You want to be hoogified. Well, I'll, I'll have to bring that up with Lori, and, and maybe we can work on the on the hooga. Although, although we make marshmallows, so but that's a whole other story. This stuff, yes, this, this stuff, we've been. We I didn't know we've been living hooga for years. This exactly, is, this is, making this is, your marshmallows. This is old stuff in our yes. camp. But, but don't let me get us too off course with all the hygge. I could talk hygge all day. Um, but today, we're not talking hygge any longer. We're going to talk about uh, Mr. Trevor Pemberton, um, who, like you mentioned earlier, is someone who lives such a life of meaning and impact. He, he does. And and he he's a remarkable young man who, um, who God's just really, uh, gosh, is really blessed. He's a, mm-hmm. I, I first met him several years ago. He was in our very first uh, emerging leaders class back when we called them young leaders, and and mm-hmm. he he is now um, uh, a an appellate judge yeah. on the Oklahoma Court of Civil Appeals. Which is I mean, a I've big seen him deal. Go, well, incredible. I mean, it, it is remarkable, and, yeah. and and just the, I mean, and also just watching his life, even in that year that he spent with us um, in that first salt. A class, mm-hmm. uh, but watching the career decision that he made, yeah, uh, just as a result, as he as just as he just as he started thinking about things mm-hmm. within the context of who he was and what God was calling him into, he made a major career change. I'm yeah. going to save that for the conversation. Yeah, don't give it but, all away. But too it was soon. it was remarkable. Uh, uh, it, it was a it was it was a remarkable deal. Yeah, it really was. Um, and one reason it was is because Trevor is not an impulsive person. Um, he's someone who's very thoughtful, very kind, very strategic. Um, and so stepping out like this is a really big move. It was a big deal for him. Yeah, but and so it it really kind of plays into why why he makes a very fine judge. Mm, yeah, uh, I mean he's 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 very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. He's really, uh, you know, looks at the law. I mean, this is the stuff that you would you would hope any any judge does. But yeah. but knowing him and knowing his uh, thought processes is 
is really uh, uh, it, it really makes sense for him doing what he's doing now. Yeah, for sure. He doesn't make his big decisions lightly. Um, so speaking of that, some of our audience is thinking about making a big change or a big change has happened to them. Um, and this means some key decisions are coming up. So what are some of the questions you ask? What is the lens that you use to make big decisions? Well, you, you know, even the fact that you say the word lens, mm-hmm. that's, this is the way I always think about it. Just to keep it simple, stupid here mm-hmm. uh, for me. <laughs> that's what I do. Something Try to keep it simple, to keep stupid it. for me. <laughs> Um, and, and that is, is I, I really, if, if I'm getting ready to make a, a, a decision that really involves time, mm-hmm. that's going to eat time, then I really try to take a look at it. But I, I look at, okay, I, as, as some uh, folks have heard me talk about before, I have a really good and strong sense of what, why am I on earth? Mm-hmm. What is my what's my mission? What, mm. what am I, why am I here? Yeah. And so I found it extremely helpful that when we know that, mm-hmm. then we're really looking at, okay, is this thing that I'm being asked to do, even mm-hmm. though it may be cool or fun in the, in the world's eyes or mm-hmm. something like that, is it, is it why I'm here? Yeah. Or is it, does it bear the possibility of being something that it's actually going to be a distraction off into something that is a robber mm. of of my purpose. Yeah, that's good. We probably ought to uh, think about uh, uh, saying no to further banter. Oh, let's and, say no to it, Wesley. Let's say no and let's to say banter. yes to and Mr. Let's Trevor say Pemberton. Yes to Trevor Pemberton. <laughs> so let's go to my conversation <laughs> with Judge Trevor Pemberton. One of the most consistent themes I've observed in these podcast interviews is how we all have something to overcome. Some obstacle, some experience, even some nightmare that threatens to chain us down to living less than the purposeful and meaningful lives God intended for us to experience. Every day you and I see people all around us and we have no clue who they are or what their story might be, what they've overcome or what they're trying to. We all carry some baggage, although it doesn't all weigh the same. My guest today is someone through whose life thread has both had to be an overcomer, but also had to sit in judgment in cases involving children and families and trying to discern how do they overcome and what's the right thing for him to do on their behalf. Uh, my guest is Oklahoma County Court of, I'm sorry, not Oklahoma County, but Oak, let me just do that little piece again. My guest is Oklahoma Court of Civil Appeals Judge Trevor Pemberton. Before becoming an appellate judge, Judge Pemberton was the chief district judge of the Oklahoma County Juvenile Division. In other words, he ran the Oklahoma County court system pertaining to neglected, abused, or delinquent children. I should also say he's my friend and chair of our board of trustees for SALT. Welcome, and after that nice and long-winded uh, introduction, I'm glad you're still awake. Uh, welcome, uh, uh, Judge Trevor Pemberton. Thank you for being here today. Well, I appreciate you having me. I'm honored to be here. I've listened to the show. Uh, you are listening to the podcast. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a listener. I'm, I'm odd. But I'm uh, honored and by certainly that. don't, uh, given the quality of prior guests that you've had, I, I don't feel worthy of being here. So thank you. I know oh. that you had to go through a number of folks to get to me. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I think well, you d- yeah, identified me polishing. as we w- we had been working to polish the apple adequately to where we felt like we could bring you on, uh, and that you would also show up not in your usual bow tie, by right. the way, which is why you planned it for a Friday. That's right. Yeah. This is, this I'm embarrassed. I've learned that this is being recorded by video, which I didn't know ahead of time. Otherwise, I would have. Otherwise, you would have kept up uh, the drill. But uh, I'm impressed. And you, those are real. You you tie those. You Absolutely. Tie those? those are not. Yeah. yeah those this, are like the clip-on. Deals. No goodness, no. No. I'm, <laughs> absolutely. He's not. a real deal. This see there. Yeah. There's a metaphor uh, for this. So listen, uh, Trevor. It's great for you to be here. Thank you for for joining us. And and it's just been a delight. Uh, you know, I've I've now known you for several years now. And and, and in fact first met you because you were in our very first, what was then a young leaders class. And, and now we call it an emerging leaders because what we've realized is, is that there's, there's just different people at different places. And so it's actually been a little more, uh, a, a broader uh, term that's kind of uh, been helpful, but you, you uh, help uh, uh, pave the way in that. And so, I, so, but especially as a, as a, as a recovering lawyer, I've, I've really been enjoying watching your, Legal career and and what all what all that's been uh, uh, remarkably uh, meteoric, I might add. And so, so let me ask you this: so, what would you just explain a little bit for folks? What does a court of civil appeals judge do? And, and this is when everybody tunes out, or at this least is when falls they start asleep. nodding off. But I thought we'd get them at the top of the conversation. Yes. Yeah, good idea. So, so knowing why we should probably let them know this is not a topic we're going to stay on That's very right. long. That's right. We'll have a point of conflict later. Yeah, as uh, as one of the judges that I work with recently described it, um, I, I sit in an office and I drink coffee and I read and write stuff. <laughs> uh, so if so, yeah, if somebody's not uh, if go. they feel aggrieved by what happened at the district court level or um, at some with some agency decision, uh, then oftentimes they bring it to us and then we review the record and determine whether or not there was error. I, you know, I just had a flashback when you said that because when I was in law school. Hopefully not PTSD. No, no, in. well, no, okay. no, it, wa- it wasn't, but it was kind of a humorous uh, thought. So I was a, a judicial intern for a Supreme Court justice for, for a year. Uh, it, it, well, which of course helped me decide that that was not what I was uh, cut out for. This was not a good deal. But I remember being at some deal. Now, I'm, I'm a law student. I mean, and you and I both know that's not really, you know, they're just, that's pretty brand spanking, you know, new there. So, yeah. and not even a baby, not even at baby lawyer level. And so, so I'm at some gathering of, there was judges and stuff, and I'm just kind of hanging around. And, and this judge, uh, uh, finds out that I work for uh, the, the Supreme Court justice I did. And he says, well, I guess you're grading my papers. Huh? And I went, in my head, I went, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I've got to ask just real quick, which justice did you work for? It was Don Barnes. Okay. Don Barnes, yeah. uh, God rest his soul. He was just a dear man. He was so uh, easygoing and just a, uh, just a delight. But, but I tell you what, I, I learned that I was not meant for the musty stacks. It was, and his, they were musty back then. Trevor. His, his daughter-in-law, by the way, is on the Court of Civil Appeals in Tulsa. Well, no kidding. De- Deborah Barnes. Yes. Oh, well, I tell you what, it, he just, it was just a, a lovely family and a, and a great place to work. It was from there though, that I went to 
the DA's office to be an intern there, and 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 that was a, a lot more uh, 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 fisticuffs. To be a real lawyer, I went. Well, yes, the the brawling of the courtroom and all the drama and and all the dramatics. But anyway, so what? Before that, though, so you've you've been doing that for you've just recently just been appointed to that. Just, just a few months. September one is when I started. And so, uh, and and before that, and when I made allusion to uh, you, you uh, the district judge work, you you you've been in practice. You're you're in your late thirties somewhere. That's Actually, right. you look so much younger than that. Even well, but. thanks for saying that. Yeah, I'm I'm 38, yeah. and uh, what yeah, I was in private practice before that. And you know some of the background. We don't necessarily need to go into that, but I was at the juvenile center yep. most recently as a district judge, and was on the civil docket prior to that, but. Uh, certainly, the most impactful time that I had as district judge was on the juvenile docket, and that was a big deal right there. That that was one thing that that I thought uh, that would be particularly just a kind of interesting, knowing uh, that that that's a hard, that's hard, that's hard. You and I both shared uh, not not the same generation, but but I worked out at that uh, juvenile center as well. That's that's hard life. You are you are in the midst every day of human suffering. Uh, and there's no running away from it. Uh, you have to or you should run towards it, right? Uh, and I was in as close a proximity to, to others' suffering as I'd ever been in my life. Um, I had experienced some of my own as a kid, and, and you're not aware of that. But uh, it, was re- it was incredibly tough. It was the most difficult year and a half, nearly two years, that, um, that I'd been through as a professional. Uh, and one that uh, a time that felt like 40 years and felt like it would mm-hmm. never end, although I, I knew the entire time that that it was God's purpose for me to be there and that it was an act of obedience and that he was do- doing something to me and through me uh, in that experience. And, and I can look back on it now fondly, but uh, again, in the midst of it, it was incredibly difficult um, and heart-wrenching at times. Well, you know, uh, I remember when you were thinking about going out there, and you were already a district judge there in the Oklahoma County Courthouse. And, um, uh, and, and of course, those are two different worlds, being, being at the district court. Uh, at, well, of course, you're still, everything's at the district court, but in some respects. But, 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 but being in the Oklahoma County Courthouse, where you have more, you're, you're, you're criminal cases, civil cases. Um, in fact, it's where, where the cool, uh, when I, so when I was a prosecutor, that was cool crime, you know, whether you'd be dealing with, you know, the newspaper or the, the, you know, the press and so all that all that stuff, and going out to juvenile uh, is it was it's not the same thing. But but it was just for the six years that I was out there, it was it was one of the, it was one of the most fulfilling uh, periods of of my uh, my career as a lawyer. And, and disappointingly, and, and maybe this was the case when you were out there, uh, the juvenile division in Oklahoma County was. Historically, a place that that lawyers in the DA's office and judges who were downtown maybe got sent as punishment at times. Yeah, yeah uh, because yeah. that's not a place that you wanted to be. But ultimately, if if you do have the opportunity to go out there, unfortunately, uh, I was given the choice, and you were one of the folks who I called to to speak with about this, knowing that you had the background, and also because I looked you as as a friend and a mentor and and somebody who sees through the looks through the appropriate filter. Um, but if you have the decision to go out there and say yes, your life has forever changed. Uh, and certainly, 
if you're a believer, it's mm. going to impact you uniquely. And it did me. Well, I, I tell you what, it's, it is a target-rich environment for uh, generating hope uh, in, in the lives of others. And uh, I know that, that, that certainly, but you know, it's what is so interesting because you're right. There is that kind of vision that when people get sent there, that it's like, and, and, sometimes they, they don't want to, uh, but boy, I tell you what, Trevor, uh, when I was out there, there was, there were, uh, it was, there was an esprit de corps. Uh, the, the people out there were so, I'm t- I, I can think of, whether they were in the public defender's office or whether they were in the district attorney's office in our, in our shop or, or, or whether they were uh, judges at the time. Uh, I, th- I think of Roger Stewart. You couldn't have, you couldn't have get him, got him out of there with a crowbar almost. I mean, so there were people that were out there that just deeply passionate about that. And, uh, and and again, deeply moved. It was just a totally different atmosphere than than my experience with dealing with lawyers and kind of the fist fight uh, uh, courtroom stuff uh, uh, downtown. But 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 nonetheless, it was also just you just you just see these families that would that would come through, and you you would uh, you'd see them in in the child welfare side then then a few years later you'd see them on the delinquent side as they got older yeah that's just- right and, and most of the families that we interact with out there um, have been in that system in some way shape or form for the better part of their lives if they were a parent on the uh, deprived docket they'd probably been a kid in the deprived docket at some point or at least had been raised in an environment that looked remarkably similar to the one that they were raising their children in and so you, you you mentioned the word hope, and I know that that's certainly a key component to this podcast. These are folks who have every reason to not have any hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've n- nobody has uh, encouraged them along the way. Nobody has told them that they're that they're worth even having hope. Why would they? Um, they've had everything go wrong. They've they've been dealt a just a really crummy hand, um, and so you get to. You have the opportunity to, whether it be as the judge out there or as a DA out there, a public defender, anybody working in that arena, so many volunteers, mm-hmm. you get to be a point of light for these mm-hmm. folks. And so that's that's what I saw the opportunity as being. And I knew that the, the only answer that I could give was yes, if I was being sincere to my faith and my values. Otherwise... I wasn't walking out (laughs) what I said I was walking out, right? I mean, it was an absolute yes, because you were working with those folks that that Jesus, during his time on earth, always walked towards. Yeah. And many people thought, you're nuts. And many people thought, I was nuts. They thought it was even career suicide. Yep. Um, Yep. You know, I, I can specifically recall somebody that I have great respect for saying, how is this moving the ball down the field in your career? Oh, man. And in thinking, um, uh, that's not the point. None of, that, that's not the point of why I've done any of this, hopefully, right? I, did, I didn't become a special judge so that I could become a district judge. I <laughs> didn't become a district judge so, <laughs> so that I could become an appellate judge. Yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. That's never been part of the deal. Um, and I hope that never becomes part of the deal. Uh, I was simply acting out of what I believed to be obedience to the Lord's call on my life at that point in time. 
You know, the first time that I witnessed this, and, I, and I'm so glad we're kind of touching this on the top of, the, of, the, of our conversation, because um, when th- that year I first met you in which you were in a, a salt class, it was uh, something really uh, phenomenal was taking place. I mean, you were a, a successful uh, private practitioner uh, handling an area of the law. Uh, and, and doing it well, and then you find yourself in a in in our in our class. And and I should I should make a note that our goal in our saw classes is not to get you to leave your career or or to or to leave or step away. We've we've you could have fooled me. We, we yeah yeah we we have had people. I mean, as you know, we 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 all we like our friend Scott McLean, who who was at the time he was in a saw class, was the president of Sonic and left uh, in the middle of that. And so, but but. But we we don't encourage people. All we're wanting to do is just just tune in with, with with what's the Lord want you doing right now, and and what lane is He running you in, and all that. But you you came to us. You did something that was I thought jaw dropping. Um, uh, would you would you share as far as a career decision? But and the reason why I'm bringing this up, Trevor, is people that are listening right now. They there, there are people that are thinking about what. What's the next right step for me in my in my career in my plans, and and sometimes the next right step isn't what the culture would say the right step is. It makes no sense. And I watched you walk this out several years ago, but in a and I thought a, in, a, in a very uh, um, thoughtful and and, and uh, determined way. Well, and and little did I know that that first step was was a necessary step to to get me where I'm at today. Yeah, it has been it just from a guy sitting in the bleachers watching you run your race, that is exactly what that is exactly. It's like if you hadn't taken that first step making a hard decision, costly ex- decision, uh the, the rest might not have been open. But, yeah, that's but right. Share that. Yeah, share that. first step of of really obedience within the professional context for me to be real frank. Uh, I was doing a lot of divorce uh, work, custody work uh and had developed a practice doing that that type of um legal work. I wasn't happy doing it, um, but I was I feel like I was I was pretty good at it. I worked hard at it. I had um I was getting a lot of referrals doing that type of work. I had gained a reputation, hopefully a positive one, within the legal community amongst the judges uh, that handled those cases, especially in Oklahoma County. Uh, but but I I was I continued to wrestle within as I you're making good money. I was too. making good money. I mean, money. that's an important. Yeah, some people a, think that's the that's the big goal right there. It was it was my goal. Uh, people ask me, why'd you go to law school? And I'd, I'd tell them I wanted influence and I wanted money. And and you know, we don't need to dive into that today. I wasn't a believer when I started in law hey, school. Hey, that sounds like, Trevor, that sounds remarkably like my twin goal. Yeah. What? Huh, I'll be darned. Anyway. <laughs> and that's that's what I that's what I thought would bring me ultimate satisfaction was if I if I could get money and if I could get influence, then I would have it. And I'd get I'd gotten the money and at least amongst my friends who weren't lawyers, I had some influence, maybe because I had money. Uh, but also if you're a lawyer, then mm-hmm. uh, you, you might have some influence. Of course, you might also have a target on your back or um, <laughs> people may think uh, lesser of you. But in any event, 
I, I wrestled and wrestled with whether I could continue to um, to handle divorce work and to walk people through that process. And, and and let me before I go any further, let me say I do not think that it's irreconcilable to be a divorce lawyer and a Christian. So that's right. that's not the message that I want to send here. Yeah. I think those are reconcilable concepts. Yep. Uh, but for me. I was remarkably convicted, and specifically within a, a class, um, one of the classes during the SALT um, program that I was going through at the time. I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I can remember praying just after the class with my assigned uh, prayer partner, Ernest Adonzi. Yeah. Uh, after the class, just outside in the Hobby Lobby parking lot, it, it occurred to me that 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 struggle within was was conviction. And I could no longer reconcile, again, just for me, I could no longer reconcile doing this work and walking in obedience with the Lord for me. And, you know, money had become an idol for me, without a doubt, and something that today I still would probably, you know, if I'm being, if, if I'm injected with truth serum, I would probably say that would be something I still struggle with is wanting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he was he was calling me away from that and he was calling me into something else. But more than anything, it was just ensuring that I would be obedient, that I would say yes, and that I would walk within his will. And for some people, that will would be continuing as a divorce lawyer, and that would be right. the, their mission field. That would be their mission yeah, field. Yeah. And that's how I tried to justify continuing to do it. Well, this is a mission fill for me, but if I was being honest, I really probably wasn't treating it as that. I was treating it as an area where I could be profitable, mm-hmm. uh, and fortunately was. But uh, so, so stepped away from that uh, cold turkey. I decided that night I would never take another divorce case. I mean, hope you heard that, heard that folks, because I certainly witnessed this. It was cold turkey. Like one day, yes. Next day, no. Yeah. So fulfill my commitment to those clients yep. I had. And yep. So I didn't. I didn't walk away from them. But I, I cold turkey decided not another divorce case, and and didn't uh, take another divorce case after that. And there were times where there was a temptation to do it because the practice started to dry up at times. Um, now ultimately, he provided everything that I ever needed financially for sure, um, and exceeded any expectations that I should have had. Uh, but it was it was a cold turkey decision, and I knew that it couldn't be okay. Let's just kind of slowly take less. I needed to, if I was walking within His will, it was all or nothing in this deal. And again, but for that, I'm not sitting where I'm sitting today. And, and that that includes you mentioned being chairman of the board, not worthy of that, not worthy of being on the court of civil appeals, not worthy of. I don't feel like any of these things. Um, there's certainly people who are far more qualified to sit in these seats. But God has honored the obedience, uh, and I've been blessed tremendously as a result of taking that that first step mm. in obedience. And it was pretty late in the game for me. Um, I mean, I was getting deeper into my professional life because I was committed to a certain area of practice, uh, and I wasn't a young person really anymore. I wasn't an adolescent. I wasn't a teenager. I wasn't a, a student. Um, I was I was deeper into it, so it took me a while to get to that first step of obedience. So that would be some encouragement. You some some listener may feel like 
it's late in the game for me to start obeying now. I'm too deep into, I'm too entrenched in my profession. I've got bills to pay or I've got obligations. I've got clients. And I, I'm also not saying, hey, everyone needs to walk away from their career. Sure. Because uh, nobody in SALT told me I needed to walk away from that. Not a soul said you need to walk away from that. Uh, other than uh, other than certainly feeling that God was was sharing that with me. Um, but I would say it's, it's never too late to take that first step of obedience. So drilling down just a little bit on on the process of of first of all, <clears throat> there's also a bit of a, a, a an example here of, of of hearing the Lord's voice and and recognizing all right is this is this him talking to me or is this just you know yesterday's pizza. I mean, I mean, what is this? Because so there was some process that you had to be going through, in which you you had to be asking that question. Yeah, I I, I think I was trying to identify what really the misery was within. Oh. Uh, why was I? Why was I? Uh, I'm a, I'm a person of faith at this point. Uh, which was relatively new to me, really. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a few years into this deal uh, as a believer at that point in my life. And so I was struggling with, I've, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm making good money. Uh, people are sending me cases. People are sending me clients. Surely God is the reason that I'm getting these clients. And that may well be the case, but... Um, I was trying to identify what the source of the misery was and continuing to pray through that um, while also trying to reconcile, continuing to do the work, and explain it in a way that this is a mission field. And, and I just couldn't reconcile any of it. And so really I wasn't I wasn't meeting with mentors as I would now. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't calling the West Lanes, right, and asking them, what would you do here? I mean, you don't, you probably don't recall me ever calling you on that topic. No, no, no. Uh, I didn't, I didn't call uh, Birgit, who was assigned to me as a mentor in SALT and somebody that I would call now, called during that juvenile process and making that decision. Uh, so after I made the decision, maybe this is, maybe this answers the question a bit. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I would randomly open up the Bible, intentionally randomly, to mm -hmm. I'd just open to a page. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened during that time, <laughs> it was scripture after scripture saying God hates divorce. Oh, my goodness. One after another. And again, this is, I, I don't want to, I, I want to make so clear here yep. that, that yep. I'm not, I don't want anybody listening who's been divorced to feel that I'm, um, condemning them or a divorce lawyer, and that's that's not my point in this. I want to be so clear about that and careful. But he was confirming to me; he was affirming mm -hmm. the decision. Uh, so I wrestled with it, wrestled with it. There was a discussion on worldview and the context of profession that night in the salt class. And Nathan Miller had drawn some diagrams and things on the whiteboard, I believe. And it just hit me, I cannot reconcile this. This is it. I'm not putting together my career and my faith. I'm walking them out separately. And so the moment that it occurred to me, 
I've got to put these things together. Uh, these are not mutually exclusive. These things have to go together. Um, and he wants to be in these processes. He wants to be in my career. He cares about my career. We spend most of our lives in our profession, mm -hmm. in our career. And so it, it just became so abundantly clear. And then afterwards, any time that I had doubt, it seemed like there was a point of affirmation. And, and whether that was, again, through Scripture um, or others, commending me or patting me on the back, not that I deserved that, but uh, but he made sure to uh, made sure that I didn't have regret that was lasting. You know, uh, that's a, another a, another piece of it there, just the, the fact that you 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 know so many of us go through this well, yours truly. I mean, thinking this is so far under God's pay grade, I, I don't even, I don't want to bring this up. He's he's not interested in the details. Uh, he he's just uh, looking at the headlines, and so so I, I would not. I didn't think he was interested in this, but and I and I believe that one time you had had a kind of a similar point of view and were disabused of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I guess I I perceived early on in my my walk. I. I I perceived God as um, somebody certainly that I believed in, um, believed that he was in control, and believed absolutely that, or believed in Jesus as my Savior. And so I believed all of the, the things kind of that you need to believe in to, to be a Christian, right? But I didn't necessarily fully understand or fully embrace the idea of a relational God and one who truly is interested in, as you said, the details of our lives. And, and he's continuing to invite us into deeper relationship. And, and that's what that was, was an invitation into a deeper relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And that included, of course, my career. Let me in. I have something for you. You need to be obedient, though. There's got to be an obedient, a walk of obedience here. And by the way, some of this may hurt, um, <laughs> and and it has along the way, right? I mean, as we to jump back, maybe to the juvenile, the time at juvenile. It's not as though, it's not as though walking out the obedience is going to be flowery, and there's going to be rainbows and butterflies everywhere. That's not it. I mean, there's there's not a lot of biblical stories or biblical heroes who walked that path of obedience. By the way, including Jesus, right? Uh, yep, or yep. especially, especially so Jesus, yeah. um, that walked an honest path of obedience and avoided pain. And in fact, they walked into, they walked towards the pain, and God was glorified in it. But you hadn't always. So, as you alluded to a few minutes ago, you you've not always. Uh, well, not always. You 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 um, your your uh, younger life, uh, teens, early twenties on up. Uh, you you and Jesus weren't hanging out. But so what? So something happened. I mean, so what? 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 What was the what? What caused you to? Uh, 
make the change. Um, so I'm going to assume when you say something happened that you're not asking about anything that happened in college or high school. No, no. Okay, I'm, not, so, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not asking about it. I, I'm not I, under I, I oath. Know, I know the governor had to go thoroughly through your your uh, your record before they would ever appoint you uh, to, to the, your job now. So I'm pretty – so, yes, I, I'm not uh, not checking that out. Well, uh, I, was, I was so fortunate in early in my practice uh, of law to be surrounded by or be introduced to – an individual and his friends and family uh, who were walking it out. And they had, he had, and some others, he, this guy, the individual's name is Joel. Uh, and Joel and Sarah Hall, his wife, are are dear friends and, and mean so much to me and have been a significant part of my walk. But Joel had what I wanted. Um, he had, he was making good money. And he, he seemed to have some influence, and and as did Sarah. So Sarah's a local federal bankruptcy judge, and Joel's a, a successful practitioner here and a respected man in the in the legal community and community as a whole. But he had what I wanted, but he also had joy. And I was surrounded by a whole lot of lawyers who had a lot of money and who seemed to have a lot of influence, but they didn't necessarily have joy. And I was making more money. I was gaining influence, I felt like, but I didn't have any joy at all. I was miserable. I was dying inside and it felt like, in fact, the more money, the more influence, the less satisfied I was. And it was never going to be enough. And so there was a void. And Joel, the guy that I was working with at the time, uh, began to invite me over to his house to have dinner with his family and uh, introduce me to some of his other friends who, who served as mentors in my life. And I, and I saw ultimately what I really wanted and, and, and well, which was a you know, wonderful family unit and, um, and, and again, just a peace while having the influence and the money. But he was unashamed about the source of it, and it was Jesus. And so he shared that with me without forcing it on me. And so others had tried to force it on me, and... I'm the personality type, and like many lawyers out there, if you try to force something on me, I'm probably going to push back. <laughs> and I needed logic, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I started to read books that, 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 that explained it in a way that's, um, that, that makes sense to a lawyer. I needed evidence. I, I, I needed it to, to line up with the evidence. I, I needed there to be support beyond just somebody saying trust, if you'll just believe. Well, believe in what and why. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Joel was, uh, and others, played an instrumental role. And so I was just so fortunate um, to have individuals in my life who introduced me in a really delicate way, in an appropriate way that made sense to me, that was, um, that, that I couldn't deny the Lord anymore. Um, I, I couldn't run from it. How old were you? I'm going to say 25, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, uh, Trevor, there was a uh, something that you shared that I, I, I really, I, I had not known until, uh, and, and it made it all the more um, significant that you took that job out at juvenile for that period of time. And that was 
that you could actually identify with uh, some of those kids out there and 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 the, and the trauma. I mean, er, early on, we had early one of our one of our very early podcasts. We had Dr. Chan Hellman uh, on. You know who I'm talking about because he's such a he's such a profundity in the arena of of hope and the science thereof. Uh, and um, and so. Uh, and so you shared with me that there had been you, you uh, and your brother went through uh, a great deal as kids, uh, and and I'm just wondering if you would share that because I tell you there are people like I said at the outcome I'm, I'm sorry at the outset of, of this of this podcast you know there are there are so many you know you see all these smiling faces and 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 uh, well like you mentioned uh, you talk about the lawyers that you know, seem to have it all going and, you know, money, influence and, and, and no joy. And, and so, and that's whatever your, whatever your profession is, whatever your arena you're in. I mean, that you, those folks in that circumstance are all around. And at the same time, I think a lot of people would be greatly surprised to realize how many people had a, had a traumatic childhood uh, to, to deal with. And, and how has that adversity uh, operated in in the next and how the life rolls out. And so, would would you mind just sharing that? Uh, uh, and, and I and I do that not just for the sake of of hearing you talk about, it, but because I know people are listening in the same deal, and there was some, have experienced similar experiences, and and the value that I'm hoping to uh, obtain, and you're you're sharing your story is 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 sharing with with the listeners the processing of this and and how it does not necessarily have to be the ball and chain uh, and and how do we serve and generate hope in in our having this little talk right now yeah so I'm uh, I'm happy to I say I'm happy to this I, I, I tense You're up willing. as you I'm willing right <laughs> yeah. yeah I tense up a little bit as, as the questions being asked uh, but certainly willing to to share and, and uh, listen I recognize that sharing stories like this do do have power and for instance when the first lady was recently on I mean yeah. we, we learned that it wasn't always easy in her life either right in in yeah. her childhood so when we when we hear anybody of of any influence share that that they had significant pain then it can be empowering and and provide hope to others and and so that occurred to me you know really just a couple of years ago uh, when I first publicly uh, or really shared with anybody uh, pieces of my background that uh, that were really painful so as a as a young kid, um, so really from time probably of birth to to six, seven years old, I was in an environment, a home environment, in which my my father was a, a drug addict, and and he's not now. So uh, I, I want to be fair to to him and respect mm-hmm. him in this as well. But he was a drug addict, and our home was chaotic at, at best. Uh, we didn't recognize it as that, right? It's all we knew. Yeah. That's normal. Comfortable in the dysfunction. That's right. So there, I mean, you know, lots, there was, there was yelling often, obviously. Um, uh, so, uh, the, the man in our life was 
uh, sleeping throughout the day and, and gone at night. And, uh, it, and, and, and so we, we didn't have, uh, we didn't, we didn't have as an example, a, a really functional relationship. And it all really came to a head that, and I, and I didn't recall this moment until I was in my late teens, or early twenties. And I was in my dorm room at, at OU uh, when when this memory came flooding back and I called my mom to ask if this happened. I don't know why it was suppressed. Um, but it, it all came to a head when my uh, dad came home one day and uh, was obviously strung out and things had become increasingly uh, dramatic in the home and chaotic in the home and and had a gun with him and I can remember it like it was yesterday and in fact I even when I was in Broken Arrow just a month or so ago I drove back by the house and looked at the window that I was looking out when I saw my father get out of uh, the 350z that he was driving at the time and pull uh, from just next to the driver's side seat, a pistol, and point it at the at the at our family, at my mom and my brother and and me, and and threatened to you know to kill the family. And you know, thank God that didn't happen. I know he you know didn't fire a gun, and uh, we're all safe. But uh, you know, as one might imagine, there's substantial trauma that follows you from that and um, and as a, a kid growing up struggled with with anger um, never really identified the source I don't know that any, anybody even really tried to maybe as a kid why I was so angry why I had such a terrible temper and um, had no joy at all in me uh, and continued to, to witness and experience at times chaos or dysfunction as I grew up in different forms all of that to say, I should point out, listen, I have a, I have a loving mother um, and somebody who has who's been through a tremendous amount as well and and, and did a great job with very little, um, making about $15,000 a year, a year raising a couple boys and doing the best she could because uh, we left. Uh, my mom took us from that home and, and we left. But but anyway, so, so yeah, moving way forward to the point that you talked about at Juvenile and making that decision – yeah, I, I knew that uh, I, I knew what those families or those kids had experienced and, and knew that he could use that pain that I had been through for his glory and to give others hope. And so I was often able to and, and was willing to, in the context of the courtroom, share with parents who were maybe strung out or with kids who had endured the chaos resulting from an addiction that I've been there, I know what you're going through, and you can be redeemed, you will be redeemed. Um, and so there is joy on the other side of this. You might not be able to see it now, and it might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen next year. But if you'll hang with me, I promise you, I'm living proof that there's joy on the other side of this, and there's hope on the other side of this. But you gotta hang with me here, um, and you've got to believe that there's something better for you on the other side of this and that God has purpose in the suffering, and he does.
And that's the conclusion that you've reached over over time. Then, I mean, is that is that? Uh, I mean, it's it. How 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 have you processed that? Uh, it was it was so much easier walking through my time at, at juvenile, and I make it sound like I was I was in the depths of misery there. I wasn't, but but was was not having the time of my life, and there was suffering. But because I knew there was purpose in it. I could survive it, not just survive it, but thrive in it and lean into it and not just looking forward to the time after the suffering mm-hmm. and instead trying to take the fruit from the suffering. And so that that's, yeah, o- over time, certainly I've um, developed a greater sense that uh, that God uses everything and maybe especially uses the most difficult things and times that we go through. That's where we grow. You know, some, uh, you know, I think, you know, when people hear uh, folks uh, speak on, on, on things like this, the, the, the suffering, uh, you know, how to, and you use the word, you know, pull the fruit from the suffering. So what does that mean to them? I mean, how, how do you explain uh, a, a, a jet aircraft to a 19th century farmer. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean that because because it's 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 like beyond something they can imagine at at a moment. Yeah, I'm going to use that line in opinion soon. By the <laughs> okay. way, the, okay. the jet to the 19th century farmer. That's great. I I, I don't know that I have a, a great explanation for um, for what I even I, I mean by it. I suppose, but. I, I can speak, you know, from personal experience, and that's about it. Maybe somebody can draw something from it, and and maybe not. So when I, when I say that you, you're drawing the fruit from it, if if we look at our lives as believers as a sanctifying experience, and every piece of it is part of His sanctification of us, so so we're He's. He's bettering us, and he's, that's what you mean by sanctification. That, that's right. He is. He is developing. He is developing us into a better version of ourselves. But but more than that, something that looks more like Him, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 we're not going to get there on this side of heaven. So there's. Well, I'm not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. I'm not going to reach full sanctification on this side of it. However. I can look more and more like him. And so it's during those times, if I, if I look at it from that perspective, then I can not only endure it, but I can then I can appreciate it. I can see it for what it is. I can recognize that and associate with what Jesus walked through. Not that my life looks anything like the suffering that he had to go through, but if I know that there was purpose in his and if I know that there was purpose in in Paul's suffering, if I know there was purpose in in Joseph being sold off by his own brothers, if I know there was purpose in all of these things that that the world would see as awful, and that God used God used in my life, and I've seen it now, so now I have experience. Maybe the first couple times that I went through a miserable circumstance as a believer, and I didn't handle it well. And I just wanted out of it. I didn't have the experience to hearken back to, to look back to like I did going through the time at juvenile, to know that, wait, he's using this. He's, he's refining me. 
And he needs me to work with his people in this as well. So it's not just a selfish thought. It's not just how, how am I being sanctified? How, how am I becoming a better person for this? But also, how can I work with his people through this? Or how can I draw people closer to him through this suffering? Surely he's using it for that purpose. You know, uh, when you're talking, it reminded me of, of Chan Hellman in my conversation with him about uh, hope and how we generate hope and how some, he made the comment, and this might be one of you, the listener uh, right now, when, uh, when Trevor was just talking about how you were looking at the lives of these other people and how they, though they were going through great adversity, lived in a place of hope um, and, and were walking that out. And, um, and you, it sounds like, drew from their experience. You, it's almost like you, um, you fed off some of their hope uh, to, to give you some. And, and, and so that's what Chan was talking about. He said, sometimes when you have no hope, you just have to ride the hope of others mm. until you can get some of your own. That's so good. It's, it's contagious. And to your point, I mean, so I keep going back to, to the time of juvenile you know, there were so many days where I, where I even started to feel like, is is there anything to be hopeful for? Because mm-hmm. I would witness so much suffering in in others, but but invariably, the moment that I would think that a parent would come in who had been suffering or had been struggling with addiction, and they've made progress, right? And then they're feeding me hope. So I, mm-hmm. it started with me trying to feed it to them. Yes. And now I've started to lose it, and they're feeding it right back. So it's just, it's contagious. Chan probably, maybe he wouldn't want me to share this. So I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down and have coffee with with Chan while I was a juvenile. I mean, it made mm-hmm. sense, of course. Perfect. Because, Perfect you know, his, his hope being a science, and um, it's... That, that's a necessary mindset when you're in a place like juvenile, and that's why you know you mentioned Justin Brown is employing that yes. you know, with the Department of Human Services at this point, and I'm so grateful for that. But, but when I sat down with Chin and I read the book in advance— Hope Rising. Uh, Hope, Hope Rising, which is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, certainly I'm not here to plug it, but I would. No, we, we just, let but, us both plug it, shall but, we? But I would. Oh, it's so, so worthwhile to, to anybody at any stage of life, but— one of the first things I said after I met Chin, I said, listen, I don't want to take away from anything that you've written. And I don't know where you stand as far, you know, whether you're a believer or you're not. But as somebody who's a believer, it looks to me like you've ripped this story off of another book. <laughs> and, oh. and I don't know if he said what, or, and, and maybe I said it in different words, but anyway, in any event, it was something like that. And I said, this is, it's simply the Bible stated in different terms. Yes. You, you, you've, this is, it's, it's redemption. It's, it's, it's looking beyond our current circumstances it's finding hope beyond ourselves. And he said, that's it. <laughs> he that, agreed. And you're right. He I, agreed that that was absolutely. <laughs> so we know that, that 
Chan is a believer. Yes. Yep. And he was he he didn't deny that in any way, shape, or form. Now, what's what's great about his book is that it's credible to both believers and non-believers. Absolutely. But 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 really, he's just he's selling, or he's he's not selling. He's he's sharing the story of redemption and of Jesus without using the name, and so others are willing to read it. Um, and, but, and, and what's so beautiful, too, Trevor, that I think it's just, that's what, one reason why it likes my rockets is, is because because for so long, I mean, the Bible talks a lot about hope. And, and so here we have, so what's one of the favorite cultural comments? Well, hope is not a strategy. Well, Sorry, uh, uh, wrong, wrong answer. And 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 Chad Nail said, it's it's it is a science, and and it and it is something you. It's like putting chemicals together. You put these two things together, and you're going to generate a third something. And that's what and, and that's what and that's what hope is. So you all that are listening, you've heard me say this before. Let me say it again. You know, Pete, repeat. Is that you know? So hope is is so much about setting a goal. However small it might be, a simple a simple goal, it, establishing a pathway, identifying what's the path to that, what's the what's the walkway uh, to that, and then and then executing the willpower to do it. It's it's that, and if you will do that, however small the step might be, it will bubble up hope. It will generate hope, and and so that that's just so. And I and I and I get such a kick, Trevor, out of you sharing about it. here. You're sharing with these these moms or, or, or parents or whatever, and, and, and trying to ha- just give, just helping them generate a little hope. They're, they're an addict, they're struggling, uh, their kids are in DHS custody, all of that stuff's taking place. And they come back and they've taken the next right step. They're generating hope. And what are you doing? You're, you're sniffing the fumes off the hope. And it's lighting your engine again. And I just, that's just, that's a great that's just that's just really delightful to hear that. I, I bet those I bet those parents would be delighted to know mm. they were they were influencing others. And so you you folks out there, we you have no idea. We have no idea how how little it takes to just give off the fumes of hope that might save someone. Chan Hellman talked about that as when he was a little boy. He was suicidal. He was homeless, suicidal, and he's sitting on a bench. And this coach that's, that, that uh, comes up, sit down next to him, just sitting there for a while. They're not saying anything. Then finally the coach just puts an arm around him and just says this. All he says is this, Chad, you're going to be all right. That's all he says, Chad. You're going to be all right. The fumes of that comment, uh, Chad Hellman rode to get past suicide and to and 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 to become a PhD doctor. And now he is it, it really he's now he's not giving off just fumes of hope. He's like uh, it's he's streaming it off all of his stuff. So I just think that's so interesting. We have no idea how we can have influence. Even if we think we're a nobody, yeah. we we that's just not true. It, and it hope will never fail you. I mean, as you were just sharing more about it, I, it just occurred to me that 
that hope really never can fail, right? So, so the moment that that we have thought that we begin to think, well, well, hope did nothing for me. Well, you've stopped hoping, right? Yeah. So, that, so that's an indication that you've stopped hoping. And I don't say that so that anybody out there who's feeling down right now, so, well, so you're saying I've given up hope because no, that's that's not at all what I'm saying, but. The moment that you believe that hope has done nothing for me, well, you've actually stopped hoping, right? So mm-hmm. it can never fail. Mm-hmm. It will work 100% of the time. If, but if you quit it, that's if, right. if, you, if you choose to walk away, then you've given up hope. That's good. That's, that's pretty good. I thought about that. You've given up hope. Hope didn't give up on you. You gave up on hope. Now, I may have to use that sometime. <laughs> you use the jet aircraft and the 19th century farmer, and I'll, 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 I'll use yours. Fair exchange. Uh, there, there, there you go. That's, that's with a, Corpro. There you go. We'll, uh, which is a legal term, but uh, or anyway. Uh, you know, so uh, what would you say today? You know, as you, we, we talked about joy earlier, and, and um, what gives you joy? Oh man, I'm not sure. You may have told me that you were going to ask that question. It's been a while since I nope, since I, I had some indication. I, no, I can I can I can tell you right now, uh, and I can tell the audience right now. I I gave him uh, no no real clues. There was no prep uh, conversation here, which is kind of a delight to have a judge across from me, and I'm getting. <laughs> 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 Let me just savor this moment. I'm I'm you're gener- I'm generating hope myself. Yeah, and, and usually I get to say you don't get to ask me questions, right? <laughs> Uh, that's not your role in the process, counselor. Uh, but but here it is. So, what gives me joy? Uh, th- there's a number of things, and a lot of it is spending time around folks who who are filled with joy, right? And so, I, I sent you a picture just earlier today. Um, oh yes, th- yeah. There was there was yep. me getting yep. to hang out with somebody that that you are very close to, and that I, I I'm getting to know better and have a tremendous amount of respect for, and that's Gary Brooks. Yep. And Todd Vinson was with us as well. Yep. <laughs> there's, and, there's a pair to yeah, draw to. And, and got to Hope tour. Hope Generators. Holy smokes. Uh, to get to tour First National Building, Gary's uh, project, uh, that's an understatement, by the way, but <laughs> but to get to spend time with people at this point um, who are so filled with, with joy, but but also are, are 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 appropriately using and leveraging their influence um, gives me great joy, and and so I get the opportunity now, simply because of a title, right? So because I have judged before my name, I get to go hang out with some really really cool people and get invited to do some cool things, and I would never want to abuse that. And, and that was one of the things I shared with the governor, by the way, is I don't care about the power that comes with any of this. I do care about the influence, though. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is I get to use this for some really cool and good things, and I do. Um, so so anyway, what gives me joy? Mostly it's, it's being around people that I care about. Um, and, and being challenged and, and growing deeper in my relationship with the Lord. And I know that sounds cliche, but, but I'm really in such a sweet season of that right now. Um, and so that's, that's giving me great joy. But it's, it's mainly spending time around others who are doing life 
really well. Uh, that gives me a lot of joy, and it, it replenishes my soul. You know, I tell you what, and I think that's everybody's story. I mean, people, people, if they thought about it, you know, being around people that 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 walk a, a story that that uplifts you. You know, sometimes we, I, I tell people uh, in these classes all the time. I said, you know, if you're if you're hanging around people that all they do is tell you that God just doesn't do anything these days. And like, you need to get a new set of friends because all you're doing is just absorbing junk and, and oh my goodness. And so, so I would, I would say that to folks, you know, you, you, you are listening. I know there's some of you out there that, that have, I mean, I used to be in this camp. I used to think, well, God just doesn't do much these days and all that. And then, and God's great sense of humor uh, he starts introducing me to stuff that, again, and kind of like you, Trevor, you know, show, prove it to me. Show me, that, you know, Mr. Evidence. I can know, I can connect dots, uh, you know. And I start seeing things that, isn't, that aren't supposed to be happening. And then I start realizing time and time and time again that I've got it wrong. Mm. And then I start hunting the stories. I'm now looking for the biographies of men and women who have lived these lives that of of they might not have had squat from the world's perspective they might not have money or anything like that but man they were living what i would call the supernatural life with god and i and i looked at that i'd say well dang if that's if that's something behind the counter that i can have i want i want that right there and so, so folks, you know, you know, we we talked about Chan Hellman and 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 how do you ride the hope of others? I, I one thing I'd do is I would encourage you if you're if you're a, a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not, but let me tell you, even if you're not, don't go through life having just walked it like a horse with blinders on, where you're just not looking around. Uh, there. There are examples, living and dead, of of people that that have walked out this what, what again what I call the supernatural life with God, the thing in which God is in the weeds. He does amazing thing. He answers prayers. They they are living life that you cannot explain outside of the construct of a highly engaged and focused God who is deeply in the weeds of your life or willing to be. And so go go drink from that cup of hope. And 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 I tell you what, once you start seeing that, you 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 will you'll pursue a different experience and the beauty of it is and the Bible says this and I have I, and I'm exhibit A on this and it says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews eleven six. I'm telling you, I have seen that in spades. And so, I got one last question for you. Okay, not not for you, the audience, but for our guest here, <laughs> since he's the only one that can answer it. Um, so, what's what is your hope for our community? Mm. Just just looking at at a city here and. Uh, uh, what's your what's your hope for us? 
you know, I think more than anything that that we would be an example uh, to other cities, that we would be a light, uh, right? Uh, that that's shining, that that can't be missed. That you know, much like the the individual that I'd mentioned, Joel was this light to yeah. me and yes. drew me towards him, right? Mm-hmm. And so drew me towards the life that he was living. I would hope the same thing for our city. Mm. That we would be that light that draws others in. I want what they're doing. I want what they have. And and, and I would I would hope that you know and well, I know the only way that's gonna happen is if we as a community walk out obedience. That we we don't choose our own path, that we don't we don't decide that, well, God has maybe told us to do this or that. We we just we're just yes. He said do this, and so we're going to walk that out, and others cannot help but be drawn towards that. They simply can't. And in a world that right now, at times, for some people, they think it's we're living in a dark time maybe. Mm-hmm. Even a glimmer of just a little bit yeah. of light, yeah. right? It, it lightens up the whole room. I mean, it, it, mm. If you're if you're in a, a bedroom, for instance, and, and trying to sleep at night, and you don't have the blackout curtains, but maybe you've got some blinds and and just some things that would keep out most of the light, you've still got light coming in your room. The moon is still making its way in, and and our city has the opportunity. And by the way, I think we're on the path towards that. Yeah, I agree with you. I real something really really special is happening here. And I got to see that again with Gary this morning and walking yes. through the First National. I mean, that that's a prime example. Yes, it's like a metaphor. Absolutely, it's the it's, the, it's bringing back from from death. That's what I said to life. him this morning. I said, people kept telling you this is impossible, can't be done. And and I'm sure they said that about Jesus. They did say that about <laughs> Jesus. Can't be. He's not coming back, guys. This is redemption. And so this is our, our city has an opportunity to do that. Gosh, we have so many leaders in place like yourself who are pushing towards that. So many of the guests that you've had who are pushing towards mm. that. And so, again, I put more simply uh, or succinctly would be that we would simply be that light uh, to other communities and to the world and that others would be drawn closer to it and therefore be drawn closer to the Lord. You know, I, 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 I'll just uh, say, yes, ditto, amen, all of the above. And I also can't help but think that's a little bit, as I watch this, again, you and I are, we're dot connectors. We are looking at, show me the evidence, and we're seeing it. We're seeing the dots line up on this. And I just get a big kick out of God's, again, his sense of humor, he loves to do stuff from places he's just unexpected. You know, is can anything good come forth from Nazareth? You know, that, 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 old, that old yarn in the, in the Bible about you know, all that? Well, we're, we're, here we are, central, in the central United States. We're a flyover country to all the hoi polloi, you know, and, and, these, and these other big cities. And yet, and yet there's a light. There's a light shining here. And so... And Trevor Pemberton, you are one of those lights, and and it's just been delightful to have you here. Thank you uh, for 
for doing this. Thank you for for how you how you just walk out purposefully. You you think about that. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus said, you know, the the number one, you know, there's two two uh, major uh, commandments. First is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And and in that first one, it says you you love God with all your mind. You're a thinking Christian. I mean, people, you know, it's okay to think. You know, we're not challenged by that. So thank you for being one, and and thank you for walking that out and for being a role model for all of us, young and old. So and for the rest of you all, it's been great having you, and we will see you next time. So let me give you some concluding thoughts. If Hope were a person in the room, what would she say to us? Well, I think, first of all, she'd say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that an unchanging God designed, built you, and sent you into a moment of history as part of his loving strategy to transform a chaotic world and and make it good again. You are called as change agents. Hope would tell you that she flourishes when we listen to God and set goals for our lives that press us further toward becoming that person God has always been willing for us to become. Hope would tell you to set action steps towards achieving those goals. They don't have to be giant steps. Start with baby steps so you can be encouraged along the way. But Hope would also tell you that you've got to not just make plans to step, but you must exercise the willpower to just take that next right step. Step by step by step gets you to the destination God has for your life. It's the long obedience in the same direction. And finally, Hope would tell you that God sees us not as we are, but as we could become if we will dare. It's the same for our communities. As followers of Jesus, you are a sent people, and all humans should flourish because God's kids are in town. What evil thing dies because you exist? No one else is coming. You're the generation sent to your community in this moment. You're it. Press into God's purposes for your lives, and you will discover that hope abounds and that Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Thank you for joining us today on Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. Once again, I'd be honored if you would take a moment to rate this podcast, review it, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs hope. We want to thank Brianna Gaither for the song, I Won't Rest Until, from her album, Vanity. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who is willing for us to live meaningful lives of profound impact. I invite you to just show up and watch God show off. <laughs>